It is good to see you today, and uh, my name is Rich Doring. I didn't uh, say that earlier. It's my privilege to be the lead pastor here, and uh, we're just thrilled that you're here. If you're brand new, we'd love for you to fill out a welcome card and uh, stop by the welcome desk on your way out. We've got a gift for you. We'd just love to be able to connect with you. And you saw a lot of announcements going on on that screen just a second ago. I uh, want to encourage you to take advantage of as much of that as you possibly can. There's a lot of different things taking place, and um, our youth group is actually on the way back into town uh, here shortly. They're at a winter retreat with our new Jackson Gen pastor, uh, Pastor Travis Jackson, and we had an effective week with him and uh, just a lot of neat things going on. So just make sure you check in, make sure you tune in, and uh, don't oppor- let opportunities kind of slip you by. All of that busyness And I'm about to read for you this psalm that's quite convicting. So, uh, Psalm 131. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters nor things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I'm like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child I'm content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. So today we start a three-part series in conjunction with our 21 days of prayer, and I'm grateful for how you're engaging with this opportunity. Uh, Every single day we've been going online and and praying as a staff uh, for you and with you, and uh, yesterday morning and even this morning had just some really precious moments of prayer uh, together as the body of Christ with those who came. And so I just want to encourage you to take advantage of those. If you're free next Saturday morning at 8 and uh, if you're free next Sunday morning at 6.30, we just meet right down in here in front and pray for one another, pray for the needs of the church, and pray for the services. So I want to encourage you to take advantage of that if you can. But uh, I personally struggled just a little bit with, um, with the fact that we need a 21 days of prayer focus. Generally, if you have to focus on something like, I don't know if this is a good thing to equate it with, but it's kind of like a diet. I really need to watch what I eat. Gives the connotation that I don't normally watch what I eat. Okay, So the idea that we need to have a 21 days of prayer focus kind of gives the connotation that maybe we need to pay a little bit more attention to prayer in our life. And uh, mostly because prayer seems to be so essential. Uh, as you read scripture, even as you look at the life of Jesus Christ, it feels like giving it a special focus means that maybe it's not a special focus in my own life or in the life of our church. There's an author, his name's Sky Jatani, and uh, he wrote a book a couple years back, several books, these what if God was serious or what if Jesus was serious about the church, what if Jesus was serious, period, uh, but what if Jesus was serious about prayer? It's a great resource. I'd encourage anybody to pick it up. Uh, really simple little resource. But he talks about, in this book, an interaction, he's from Wheaton, Illinois, he talks about interaction he has with uh, his students, and one student in particular, and uh, this student wanted to live what that student called a radical life for Jesus. I just want to live a radical life for Jesus. This is what he writes, he says, it became evident through our conversation that the young man wasn't just ambitious to improve the world, but he was ambitious to prove his significance. As we talked, the word radical was used repeatedly. He employed it as an antonym for ordinary. Antonym means opposite. So he would use that to give the complete opposite picture of what just ordinary would look like. 
It says, in fact, he not only wanted to transcend an ordinary Christian life, he also carried a disdain for other Christians who didn't. So ambitions to do great things for God, that's not a wrong thing. I hope I'm able to do good things for God, great things for God. I mean, that's, that's what I want to give my life to. I'm sure uh, I don't just speak for myself there. But that exchange between him and that student, it reveals something. People, including you and I, are inundated all the time with messages that a radical life uh, is radical because of outward things, because of visible actions, because of our influence. Unless what you and I do is somehow measurable or dramatic or it's shared and goes viral, we, we, we call viral things online the normal things. And if we're not viral, then we're just somehow lesser. We're less than. If our platform isn't as big as the platform of other people, then somehow we're lesser, we have less value. The word radical, again, is one of those words, and we talked about this before. I love reclaiming words that are used differently now. But uh, the word radical actually uh, comes from a Latin word that means, are you ready? Rooted. That's what it means, rooted. Rootedness, an invisible aspect of life that's kind of under the surface and it creates stability and integrity. That's what radical is in Latin. Now, here's what that means for people who claim to want to pursue Jesus and be rooted in Christ, rooted in prayer. It means that a radical follower of Jesus is less about doing extraordinary things for God than having rooted encounters with an extraordinary God. Let me say that again. A radical follower, somebody who's really rooted in Christ, is less about doing extraordinary things for God than having rooted encounters with an extraordinary God. So I wonder if this is true in your life. It's, it's true in my life. Um, if prayer is being radical and having rootedness and rooted encounters with God, then why does prayer sometimes get relegated to the periphery? And here's what I mean by that. It's something that happens at the beginning of something and something that happens at the end of something. Like, I'm, I'm the master of meetings. That's what I do. I have meetings all the time. And what do you do at the beginning of a meeting? Who has some prayer requests? And hey, we're going to open the meeting with prayer. How do we close a meeting? We close a meeting with prayer. And you're like, Pastor Rich doesn't want to pray. That's not what I'm saying, okay? But I'm saying that sometimes we relegate prayer to these parenthetical kind of things. In Christian culture, we say that we have a personal relationship with God. But the practice of praying, how we actually flesh out having that relationship, living out that personal relationship with God, sometimes just becomes one of those things on a list of Christian things that you do, that you kind of check off of a list. Did you pray today? Mark that box. Did you read your scripture? Mark that. I mean, that's how I was discipled. I was discipled, told all of the things a good Christian, Rich, here's how you give, here's how you pray, here's how you read scripture, here's how you do this, here's how you do that. Oh, by the way, here's all the things you shouldn't do, too. Here's this other list as well. Make sure you don't mark those things off. Make sure you mark the things off that you're supposed to do. So in other words, here's all the Christian things, here's all the things a Christian does for God, instead of here's what it means to be with God. 
I was discipled to do for God. I was not discipled to be with him. And there's a, there's a huge, huge difference there. Because if your activity is all centered about what you're about to do for God, but you're not in, rooted in who you are with him, this is fruitless fruit. It's, it's your effort. This is, this is you and your strength and your abilities, and it, it's your personality. It's, it's you-driven. It's not God-driven. But the more I've been rooted in Christ in my quiet time, the more I've been rooted in Christ behind the scenes, the more I've had to pray, not in front of people, but in front of one. Those are the moments that all of a sudden begin to translate into the rest of my life. And my life begins to reflect that. And so, prayer, as Sky Jatani would say, is this. He says, rather than being the irreplaceable root from which every aspect of the Christian life is nourished and grows, prayer becomes an optional accessory. Jesus was a brilliant teacher. He amazed crowds with his knowledge and impressed religious leaders with wisdom. Jesus was an activist who transformed lives and ignited a movement that changed history. But neither of those things was the root of Jesus' life, and neither should they be for ours. Instead, we are called to find our truest self, our deepest calling in unconditional love as we abide in communion with God through prayer. So these three weeks, if it's okay with you, I want to kind of talk a little bit, give us some thoughts, some insights, uh, maybe some tools, lay a foundation of what it looks like to be rooted in prayer. We're trying to create some opportunities, obviously through the ministry, through the life of the church, for you to get more engaged, involved in, in prayer, the, the study guide, all those different things that we're trying to put into your, your hands. But at the end of the day, <laughs> this is the funny part about being a pastor, you're going to walk out that door and I don't know what you're doing, you don't know what I'm doing. And so it becomes up to us. What are we going to do differently when we leave this place? And so I, wanna, I just want to equip you with a few things, if that's, if that's okay. And these things that we're going to talk about are things that have made a significant impact in my life. Uh, so if it's okay, I'm going to share with you kind of what works for me in a way. And it starts in a very humbling way. Rich has to shut up. My prayer life is contingent on whether or, not I, whether or not I know how to be quiet. That's where it begins. That's where it begins. Probably about 10 years ago, I, it just became really, really clear to me, the older I get, <laughs> uh, it became really, really clear to me that there are seasons in life, there are distinct seasons, and usually when you're in the middle of a tough season, you think that's the only season you're ever going to experience in your life, and then all of a sudden it's over three months later. But there, there are just all these ebbs and flows and seasons in life. There are sometimes seasons where it's really, 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 really hard, but that hard stuff prepares you for a next season where you see the fruit of all that hard work and that labor. You, 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 you sow and then you reap, and there's those kinds of seasons. And sometimes you don't know if you're in those seasons. Other times you're super, super overwhelmed, you're super, super busy, and there's a lot of work that goes into something, and then there's a lot of rest that takes place after that work. And there's those ebbs and flows in life, there's those seasons in life. And so I wonder if you're like me at all. I find myself right now, right now, in a perpetual busy season. That's just my life right now, and I'm not looking for pity or anything. It's just, it's just a reality. I'm in a perpetually busy moment 
right now. I don't know how long that season's going to last, um, but I, I, I think I've matured and grown self-aware enough to know that it can't last forever, okay? Because there's problems with that. But I'm in this perpetual busy season. I wonder if anybody else can relate to that. Are you busy? Are you busy? Okay. And sometimes when you're busy and in those busy seasons, things start to slip that show you that you are in one of those busy seasons. You mow the lawn once every two weeks instead of once a week. That's happened to me. Which sounds like, that's so dumb. That's such a little thing. But it's one of several little things. You drop a hobby because, man, you would start to feel guilty if you spent so much time doing that when you know there's so much work and things to be done over here. Or you, do that, or you don't schedule a vacation because if you schedule a vacation, that would take you out of the loop for this amount of time and, and all that kind of other different stuff. And all of a sudden, things just begin to slip. And maybe even as followers of Jesus, some things begin to just kind of fall by the wayside. The gathering of the saints, the gathering of the priesthood of believers, the body of Christ coming to worship together in a, in a setting like this. It becomes one of those things on a list of things that is easily just kind of shoved to the wayside to give room for something else. And it happens once, it happens a few times till it becomes a pattern or prayer. All of these things become add-ons or drop-offs and they become, um, I don't, it sounds cruel to say that we would discard them like we're throwing it in the garbage can, but if we are looking at life and priorities as a list, sometimes those spiritual things, those time we're going to spend in prayer, or the time we're going to spend in the Word, or the time we're going to spend with the body of Christ or in a life group or whatever, those become the, those are the extras. Those are the things that are easy to kind of cut off the bottom of the list. And then one day you wake up and you wonder why you're so angry <laughs> or you wonder why you're so frustrated or so sad or broken or wonder how did this happen in my life and you realize you're in a spiritual drought. It's dry where you are. And I just want to tell you that the times of greatest growth that I've experienced with Jesus Christ, unfortunately, unfortunately, have come in the moments where I've had to stop. Where God was like, oh, we're not just breaking, we're pulling the emergency brake. And all of a sudden, he got my attention long enough for me to say, oh, oh, Okay, okay. Now, I'm embarrassed that at 48, it has taken me so long to recognize that maybe being proactive about being still turns out a little bit better. It's a little bit easier to go down, okay? The peace, the joy, the contentment that I experience today only happens when I'm quiet long enough to be rooted in his presence. That's when it happens. Not doing for God not doing my job for God, but actually being with God, being quiet, listening in silence. The more consistently that I've done that in my own life and done what we're going to look at these three weeks, the more radical my life has been. It's really kind of this weird thing. The more consistent I am when there's nobody to be in front of me and just me and him, the more consistent I am in that, all of a sudden translates to, wow, I'm a whole lot more effective at living this life that I'm called to live when I'm effective at this life. Does that make sense? Now, I don't live this quiet life, this in-your-prayer-closet life so that 
all this stuff goes real wompy and good, and you're just like, Pastor Rich is the best, and he's just amazing. Uh, That's not why I pray, okay? I don't pray for the fruit. I pray because he's my heavenly father. I have a relationship. We're going to talk about that. Henry Nouwen, he said, Without solitude, it's virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. Without solitude, it's virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. But I tell you what, man, I will test that theory every single day. I don't know about you. I think that I'm the exception. Don't you think you're an exceptional person? I'm the exception to that rule. I mean, have you ever visited somebody? Have you ever gone to visit somebody? Um, And I'm not talking about anybody in this room, just as I say this, but have you ever gone into somebody's home and their TV is on, and it's on a little louder than it should be if you're going to have a conversation? And the whole time you're there, the TV never gets turned down or turned off. Have you ever visited anybody like that? Are you anybody like that? Okay. Even when nobody's watching it. And here's, here's the problem. We are all addicted to preoccupation. We're all addicted to it. Earbuds in, I've got my notifications always on. I got 73 browser tabs open in my computer. I got my IMs, I got my snaps over here. I got Be Real, which is this newer social media platform. This is, oh my word, this is crazy. The only reason I downloaded it is because one of my boys uses it. I'm like, man, this, is a, this thing, this will go off on my phone, a notification, boom, boom. You gotta be real. Be real. And so you have, to, all, you have two minutes. If you get the notification, you get two minutes to take a picture of yourself doing whatever you're doing in that moment, which is highly dangerous. That's not, a, I'm in the shower, or I'm driving. I mean, those are, that's, get it, get it, get it. You know, what do you do in that moment? But if you don't do it, if the two minutes goes up and you don't do it, you're a loser, man. All of the people that are in your little circle there, they know you're late to the party, okay? Doesn't count. Oh, my word. I mean, talk about FOMO, like fear of missing out, and urgency tied into one. I mean, it will give you anxiety having some of these things going on in your life, but it's instant distraction. It's instant noise, and we sign up for that stuff all the time. We fill our lives with all of that. Most people struggle to be quiet and to be still. Instead, a lot of times what we actually need is drama. I need some drama in my life. I need a crisis. I need noise. I need to make sure that whatever's going on in my life can be a distraction. Because if I'm quiet long enough, if I'm still long enough, something might creep up on me. Or something might come up. But I've done really good by my busyness and my success and my achievements and all the noise that I can cram into my life all at once can keep whatever I've buried in here down. And I don't have to reckon with it. I can increase my drama. We imprison ourselves with all this drama, with all this noise, with all this activity, loud enough, long enough to drown out those doubts we might hear, the, the fears, the loneliness that we have, the pain, not realizing that the actual freedom that we have is in solitude. The freedom that we find is in silence. Okay, see, we see this all throughout Scripture, all throughout Scripture. Noah, Abraham, Moses, Joshua, David, Isaiah, Job, uh, John the Baptist, Jesus, Paul, John, 
the disciple. Some of them had solitude thrust on them. Like poor Paul, most of the New Testament that he wrote was while he was in prison. That's just where Paul did his best work. And uh, in silence and solitude is thrust on him. Other times he shows it. The best example is Jesus himself, Luke chapter 5, verse 16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. It doesn't say one time. He often did this. And if you spend any time in the Gospels, you find out he's doing this all the time. He often withdrew to the lonely. In other words, I'm alone places and prayed. Paul did it in Acts 20. Uh, he and his companions, they're sailing to Jerusalem, and he's like, you know what, boys? You go ahead, sail. I'm going to walk. He wanted time to be alone with God and to hear from God. He needed solitude and silence. So practically speaking for us then, this radical life in Jesus that we're called to, it takes root in a very what we would consider non-radical way. It takes root in silence. It takes root in solitude, which sounds like a total pipe dream. It really does. Um, there's that meeting, you know, that, that's coming up, and there's also that commitment that I made, and man, if I back out of that commitment, I know them. They're going to talk about me if I don't show up, and so I got to show up so they don't talk about me, and I, you know, just all that stuff. There's those 700 activities that I signed my kid up for, and man, FOMO again. I can't, they can't miss out on anything in life. And, and all, you know, Rich, the bills don't pay themselves, so we got we to gotta do this, we got to do that. All this stuff going on. And I know I've been kind of sarcastic about this stuff, but even some of you right now, some of you right now are in places where you're needed care of other people, where your care of other people has put you in a place where even your own health is in question because of how you have to give yourself to the attention of other people. Silence and solitude sound really great, don't they? They sound great. But let's be real. All of us. This, this, this was so hard when I wrote it down. But I'm, all of us are too busy. And I'm just going to let that sit in the silence for a second. Because I need to hear what I just said. All of us are too busy. it might be time for people like you and I to stop seeking an identity in what we do, but instead in who we are in him. Not just in what we do, but in who we are in him. Be still. Listen. Psalm uh, it's, a, it's there in that psalm. I've calmed and quieted myself. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I'm content. A child with a mother. That's peace. That's security, isn't it? So as we set the stage these next couple of weeks, uh, I just want to get super practical if that's okay. I just want to put some tools in your hands. And maybe during this 21 days of prayer challenge, uh, you can apply some of this. But how do you produce solitude? How do you produce silence? How do you do some of what we're talking? This, you're going to be like, oh, you're a rocket scientist, Rich. This is so smart. Number one, make time to be alone. Originally it said find. But 
To say find time to be alone implies that somehow you lost the time. You didn't lose time. You and I just don't make it. We don't make the time. Finding something indicates you lost it. You and I haven't lost it. We just don't make it. And that requires intentionality. So I'm going to go out on a limb here, okay? I bet most all of us can make time during the day to be alone with God. Like, Rich, you're a ding-dong. Do you, have you ever met my children? Have you, I mean, if you're, if you're the parent of a young child right now, or young children, you have multiple children, you're like, bad chance, big boy. It ain't, it ain't gonna happen, right? I mean, there, there's a lot of challenges, but listen to me, listen very closely, and I asked my wife permission for this, which is very easy to say because she's not in the first service. Even the busiest person in the world, even a busiest mother in the world, has to go to the bathroom at some point during the day. Okay. We had, we did, we had a, a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a one-year-old. All boys. And uh, my wife stayed at home for a few years, and that might have been the most ragged my wife has ever been in her whole life. And uh, she found time to be alone with God, and it was, it was in the bathroom. Uh, I think we believe God is omnipresent, right? That means God is everywhere at all times. He's omnipresent. It turns out he's present whenever you go, too. So you're welcome. He's present wherever you go and whenever you go. Now, we laugh, but that's kind of a habit that's a good habit to form. The idea of snatching five minutes here, or 10 minutes here, or 15 minutes. If you're in the bathroom for 30 minutes, there, there might be a doctor here that you need to have a conversation with. But, but snatching that time, right? Seizing those opportunities throughout the day when we can have five minutes here or 15 minutes there alone. We do what the psalmist did, David. He said, I stilled and quieted my soul. Psalm 46, God says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. The first thing we need to do is be still for a moment. Be still. Wait. David wrote, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. But we got to shoot straight here. Finding time to be alone is probably not the number one issue. At least it's not in my life. I, I can find time alone all the time. My issue is the second thing. Make it as quiet as possible. Make it as quiet as possible. Now, let the word quiet for a second be fuller. Give it fuller meaning than just turning off the TV or finding a spot where the kids can't find you for five minutes. It's, it's more full than that, the idea of being quiet. Maybe quiet is leaving your phone in another room. That might kill some of you. I mean, it, I mean, we're so attached to our phone. What would it look like for you to leave it in another room for a while? What if so-and-so texts me? What if they text you? What if they send you a message? Was it that important? Pick up cupcakes on the way home. That's pretty important. In my house, that's pretty important, but was it that important? Maybe it's leaving the phone in another room. Maybe being quiet is creating boundaries in your life, releasing that urgency 
to respond to every single message that someone sends you to hijack your day or your life. Maybe you don't have to respond immediately to every single message. What does quiet look like for you? Now, the question that pops up sometimes with that is, can I listen to worship music during my quiet time? Uh, or when you pray, can you be driving? Is road noise okay? I mean, like, how legalistic are we going to get with this? I'm not a legalistic person, so I mean, whatever quiet is for you, that's quiet for you. I, just, I can just tell you my experience. Uh, it's hard for me to be quiet inside if it's not quiet outside. So as quiet as I can make it outside, it's easier for me to get quiet inside, which is scary because sometimes we just don't want to be quiet. Because if we're quiet, we might hear something we don't want to hear or we don't like. Which means specifically in prayer, we got to practice being quiet. We got to practice the art of silence. Can I translate? Don't just find quiet, be quiet. Be quiet. Prayer is not just about you talking. This is, this is the issue. This is where the relational aspect of prayer comes in. Prayer is not just talking, it's listening. We'll talk more about this next week, but for example, let me give you this. A lot of times when I pray, and I, I spend time praying Scripture, and we'll talk about this next week, but I look at Scripture a lot of times, and what I start doing is I start reminding God of what He said in Scripture, as though He forgot. Like, <laughs> but I'd be like, you know, God, such and such verse says that you are this, you are that. Thank you for being this. Thank you for being that. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's a good thing, okay? But this is different. Hey, God, it says in Scripture that you're this, and man, it says that you're that. What do you want me to know about that? Why do, why do you want me to see that right now? What are you saying to me right now? And then, zip it, Doring. Like, quit trying to answer your own question. Just stop for a second. And let the low whisper of God bring something to my mind. Or be quiet long enough. Rich, stop, 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 stop. Be quiet long enough. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I need to go talk to that person. Oh, yeah, you're right. Man, I got to let this thing go because every day that thing is holding on to me and I'm giving attention to that thing that needs to be given to you and I, I'm sorry. Why, what, what are you saying to me in this? Not just, I agree, God, that was really good of you to write. You didn't ask me. <laughs> Instead, what are you saying to me? And letting God's still small voice penetrate our quiet heart just a little bit. We're going to talk more about that next week. But as we close today, being rooted in prayer begins with being quiet long enough to let God speak and then hear him. So let me ask you, what is he saying to you? What is God saying to you? Uh, after the meal that we're about to share here, uh, the Last Supper, Jesus, after they had that meal together, uh, he immediately went from there to find a place to be still and to pray. Went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And so as we approach this table today, we're going to quiet our hearts, we're going to still 
our hearts. And we're going to put this into practice. We're going to do this next week too. We're going to model what this looks like. But we're going to do this today. We're going to receive communion today, listening for where God is leading us. Listening for where God is leading you. What is he saying to you? So I just want to encourage you to let this be a step in the direction of living more like Jesus, who after this meal moved into a time of solitude and prayer, seeking out ways to be still and to know that he is God, that he's in control, that he has you in the palm of his hand. And so communion really is a silent moment in this loud confusing world. Uh, We have this opportunity for this to um, amplify reality for us. And so today as we receive these elements, what I want to tell you is that there's not going to be any music. Um, Sometimes when we receive communion like this, uh, it kind of turns a little bit into like a family reunion. Like, you know, you kind of, you see your buddies, you shake hands, there's chatter, different things like that. I want to challenge you today. We're going we're gonna to be awkward and uncomfortable, which is like my number one gift. We're going to be awkward and uncomfortable, but we're going to practice what it means to be quiet. If somebody coughs, not a big deal. If somebody drops their cane, get over it. If some kid starts yelling, it's all right. Okay? What's it look like for you, you, to be silent today? And so what we're going to do here in a second is uh, I'm going to ask the worship team members that are going to come down to take their places But then uh, I'm going to come down and we're going to dismiss like we normally do for communion. We'll go down the rows and you come in, uh, you receive the bread and the juice, and then you return back to your seats, and then we'll close everything out. But uh, Scripture tells us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he had a final meal with his disciples, with his friends. He broke bread, he blessed it, he shared it with them, saying, this bread is my body which is broken for you. Whenever you eat it, do so in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took a cup. He blessed it and shared it with his disciples, proclaiming, this is my blood, which has been shed for you. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. And so today, as those who profess a faith in Jesus Christ alone, we participate as the disciples did, seeking to hear from our Heavenly Father. If you profess a faith in relationship with Jesus Christ today, we invite you to come to the table. We invite you to come to the table. And this may be the day where you decide to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Come to that table. This table is always open. Come to that table and participate with us together. I'm going to pray, and then we'll begin dismissing you by rose, and then I'll come up at the end and close in a time of prayer. Father, we come before you today, and we're so grateful for your love for us and your invitation. Your invitation is not necessarily for us to come and give you information. Your invitation is not necessarily for us to come and even just say what's on our mind. Your invitation for us is just to come, to be, to be with you. And as we're with you, Father, we know you want to reveal yourself to us, your will, your love for us, your presence. And so today in this silent activity, I pray that you'd meet us exactly where we are. I pray today, Father, that you'd make yourself known to us. 
that we would begin to understand what it looks like to be quiet and just to receive from you.